Welcome back to the Relentless Minds podcast. I am your host, Lori Jimenez. I created this platform with a sole mission, and that is to inspire people of all backgrounds to create the change they wish to see in their lives and in the world by sharing the examples of those who are. As a listener, you will hear the stories of ordinary men and women with extraordinary stories of overcoming adversities in order to experience the life they dream of. All of these individuals share a common interest. They desire a change for the better, and they are in a relentless pursuit to create that for themselves. If you're looking for inspiration to overcome challenges in your own life, to create a life that you desire to have, then you have come to the right place. You see, the truth is, people everywhere are fighting for what they believe in, and together, with relentless action and mental strength, I have no doubt that we can fulfill that dream. Welcome, Jamie, to the Relentless Minds podcast. I'm very happy to have you on here today for this interview. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Jamie, you are the founder of Zero Hour, a youth-led movement for climate change that started in 2017 when you were 15 years old. In the last few years, it now being the year 2020, you have made incredible progress in your activism to bring awareness to our climate crisis, and you have mobilized youth from all around the world to also support and advocate for this cause. So to start off this conversation, I wanted to first talk about what it was that caused you to not simply just observe the climate caused disaster that you first started to notice, uh, but to actually make the decision to do something about it uh, and understand the urgency of acting there and then. Yeah, I mean, it was a gradual process. Um, Well, yes and no, in the terms of it, it was gradual. It was actually pretty quick. when I was 14, it was after the 2016 election and I was really devastated of the way the results had turned out. I had worked really hard um, in my local campaign office trying to get Democrats elected and that didn't work out. And then we got the current president and I, w- I was also seeing the effects of climate change all around me. I was seeing um, the way that my home city of Seattle was being deteriorated by the climate crisis. You know, the ocean acidification is destroying our sea life. A lot of human-caused problems are destroying the orcas and the salmon and their habitats. And there was also a lot of, um, we used to not have a wildfire season, but now because of the mm-hmm. wildfires in Canada caused by hotter and drier climates, there have been wildfires in Canada. And they blew over Seattle and covered us in a thick layer of smog. And that was really difficult. And it was like literally hard to breathe. A lot of people got very sick. And so it was just very difficult And so after that, I just, the summer of, uh, actually the fall of 2016, right after the election, I started to get involved with climate justice groups locally in my city of Seattle, like Plant for the Planet. And then after that, about a year of of being involved, I realized that like we needed something else. There needed to be more, more action on this issue because things were just being rolled back, rolled back, climate initiatives were being rolled back and there wasn't like a national and international sense of urgency around this issue. And so then finally, um, the summer of 2017, I hit a breaking point because, you know, those fires happened uh, in Canada that blew over my city. And then Hurricane Maria, Hurricane Harvey, all of these other um, climate disasters. Plus, we got pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords. All of that added up. I was like, okay, I need to take my action to a new level. And so that's kind of when I got the idea to start Zero Hour. I posted on social media, I'm going to start a youth climate march who's with me. And then I got a response from Nadia Nazar, 
who is a youth climate activist who lived in Baltimore. Um, and then we got together, well, not in person, but we linked up online and then I brought in a few other people and then we just started mobilizing and growing. And then Zero Hour was formed and a year later we marched on Washington and in 25 cities around the world. And we had like this broad coalition of young people from all over the world taking climate action. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely incredible. And so you were involved in advocacy work, you know, specifically when it came to climate change before even like ever starting Zero Hour. Um, And so what was it specifically that you saw was missing in the efforts that you were doing before you launched Zero Hour um, together with other youths around the world and that you've now focused on as your as the purpose for Zero Hour as a target? And so who and what are you targeting to bring about this change for climate, for the climate crisis? I mean, the people that we're targeting are really one, in one hand, we're targeting politicians, right? We want a Green New Deal. We want um, them to, you know, not accept any fossil fuel money. We want them to pass common sense climate legislation. Then another sense we're targeting corporations, you know, to either stop their ways or get out of the way. Um, And then in another sense, we're targeting the general public in terms of educating them about different issues and systems of oppression and, um, and how the climate crisis got started in the first place, not just scientifically, but also like the social justice and political factors that made it so that this issue could get so bad. So we really target like the public not to, we don't really advocate for like individual personal changes of like, oh, change your light bulb, recycle. It's not that that mm-hmm. stuff is good, it's that we, we target um, systematic change more than, more than anything. So I definitely want us to get involved in that as well. Um, you know, the, the influences out there that are, are the, the, the bigger looming, you know, dominant powers there that are really causing it to be difficult to create change. But first, I wanted to talk about, because I was listening and reading about what you've, like your inspiration when you were 13, 14, and also other youths that are also in this, in this movement and how, how you see it affecting your future. Right. And so when it comes to the reality of how this crisis uh, is affecting, is going to be affecting your generation, um, honestly, even my generation and um, and how this impacts the ability to dream about the future. Can you tell us more about that and how you saw yourself affected? I mean, based on our current crisis, you know, it's very difficult to be able to plan the future, especially like right now with all the coronavirus stuff, you know, we even like we planned out. I had like my whole month of March planned out right now would have been the first day of zero hours tour. Yes. You know, we had all of these, all of these things planned out and things just fell through. Things just didn't work out. I had all these, you know, my book is coming. I have a book coming out called Youth to Power, which is a guide to being a young activist and organizer, which comes out June 2nd. I had a lot of promotion stuff planned in May that, that we had to cancel because, you know, things are canceled like through May. I guess this virus is showing us that it's really difficult to to actually be able to plan for your future. But then the climate crisis is going to cause situations even worse than this. And like, so this is just like what people are going through now. If we don't get this issue under control, it's just the tip of the iceberg because there's just going to be more chaos and lack of control. And so it's really worrying. Like, how am I supposed to plan my future if it's just going to be full of more crises like this, if it's just going to be full of more danger and damage like this? And so have you seen that when it comes to the movement that you're doing and the youth that are also um, that are also mo- mobilized around the world, are they as driven, as determined as you? I mean, are you seeing that on a global scale? 
Yeah, I am seeing it on a global scale. There's been like a massive, ever since Zero Hour hosted our first marches in 2018, there's been a massive increase in youth participation, youth action, organizers. It's just been like, it's been massive. I love seeing that because honestly, the amount of force that I've seen you come up to to confront this issue is incredible. And I would like to talk about even like the limitations that some would believe that you may have faced when you were starting because you were very young. You were 15 years old. Um, And did you feel that at that age, did you ever doubt that you would be able to make the impact that you've made now? Did you feel like a youth-led movement wouldn't have that much of an impact? You know, that was the initial initial thought that I had, but then I was quickly, you know, I, I kind of always had a vision that this was going to work out. Otherwise, why would I have tried so hard to make it work? Right. Mm-hmm. So there, 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 there has to be um, some faith that it is going to work out. Otherwise, like, why would I put everything on the line to just do this work and organize and sacrifice so much for it? You have to have some semblance of faith that mm-hmm. it will work out. Otherwise, what's the point? And that's such a key word is faith, because like faith really communicates that, you know, you're, you're fighting for something, even though you can't see it, like you can't see that immediate, you know, outcome right there. You're just working on faith. You believe that it's going to happen. And when it comes to like your whole journey in, in building this and creating and, and bringing um, youth together, what were some of like the key factors that you feel really uh, that you could attribute that success and that that progress to that were very, very essential? Well, I guess the, the factors that contributed to the progress, it was really just like hard work. Like I would go to events, I would recruit people, I would just tell them the vision of, you know, young people are going to march on Washington, it's going to be big, it's going to be amazing. And I would just easily reel them in because they saw the vision. I wasn't like, maybe this is going to happen. I don't know. I was like, this is happening. Do you want to be there? So they saw that confidence and they immediately mm-hmm you know, when, when there's confidence in a vision and the vision is clear and good, it attracts people. It gets people involved. People want to be a part of something like that. Hmm. That's incredible confidence. And I've, and I've heard that before, but you know, you're like the living example of that. I mean, you speaking to me, I've heard your podcast before, uh, when you were 16 years old, you were on a couple and just the way that you come off and the way that you, that you deliver your message is so clear. It's so confident. It's so the determination behind your voice is very, very obvious. And so confidence, is that what you're saying? That that is one of the key, like essential components to have. You have to have confidence in something that is actually worth having confidence in. And the way you know that is that it's, if it's a well-fleshed out vision that you worked hard on, that is based in science and reason and community that you've run by people that other people are, then that's something to, to get behind. So you have to have a good product to be confident in it. So, so if you put a lot of work into it, you have a clear vision that people can actually get behind, then you're going to, to make progress that way. And so what have you, like just kind of reviewing this time that you've been upfront, you've been going to officials, you've been in lawsuits. I mean, you've really put yourself out there. What can you say were some of like the hardest things for you to learn or do as an activist during this time? And how did you overcome that? I mean, some of the hardest things to learn and do, you know, really working with other people and then how to manage people and how to properly lead. Like that's really hard. And to be honest, I still haven't totally mastered it after four years you know other people just the way working like the whole teamwork aspect of it and organizing and the whole herding cats of you know mobilizing people like i've gotten a lot better at it but that is an ongoing struggle it's 
it's hard. It's hard to be able to, because like you said, there are nuances, there are different personalities, um, especially when it comes to being in challenging environments. Um, what were you, what were some of the steps that you had to take in order to be able to work well with other people and to, to get people to work together in order to, to progress, to progress this movement? Well, I guess I had to, you know, I had to have a lot of one-on-one conversations, just really talking about, you know, how could I do better? What are the mistakes that I've made? People have pulled me aside and told me, you know, this is what you could be doing better. This is how, you know, I have a lot of mentors. I have a really great mentor, an adult mentor in movement named Natalie Mavane, who's a lobbyist for 350 at the moment. Um, she does like environmental lobbying and things like that. And she's like, you know, she's an adult who's, who knows the ropes of this movement. And so she's been able to like, really helped me gain those skills and so just like talking to people working with people and kind of learning by doing as well what worked with people last time what didn't work with people last time gotcha wow i mean i'm just amazed that like honestly you're an old soul like at 18 15 16 years old doing the things that you're doing and really being able to to put the drive behind that and and stay focused and disciplined that's a that's a struggle that a lot of people have you know i mean a lot of people they want to show up in this world doing something bigger contributing to something greater than they are and making an impact but but there are there are like limitations and obstacles that get in their way um what was it that you were how was it that you were able um and still are able to stay so disciplined and focused on your daily duties on the daily activities to keep things going I mean, I am a workaholic by nature, but then on top of that, it's just like, I'm like a, I really make lists and like to-do lists for each day and I'm really on top of it. And I have like Google calendar schedules where like I schedule in all my meetings and I just, I stay really on top of it. I have like a daily planner where I write down everything I need to do for the day for school because I am in high school um, for all of these different like things. It's just you just have to, for me, like writing it all down and then having an accountability system for myself that works well really helps. What's the accountability that you have for yourself that works for you? Well, I think it, it is like the whole to-do list system and then seeing what I didn't do that day and then transferring it on to next day's to-do list and, and things like that. Yeah. So that actually, and I, and I can attest to that, that it's important, you know, having, being clear on what you need to get done, but you also like, and I don't know if this has changed for you, you can give me feedback on this, but like since you're balancing, you're in high school right now, you're a senior. So you're balancing that schedule. I am in high school. I'm currently doing online school because of the coronavirus. Yes. But I'm still in school. Right. And so like you're balancing that, you're balancing, I mean, like also working on the organization. And so like when it comes to like the amount of time that you're dedicating to zero hour, how, how do you allot that time for that? And what sort of tasks do you, and this is just out of my pure curiosity, how, uh, what sort of tasks, like your core tasks that you know you need to focus on? My core tasks that I need to focus on, I do a lot of our communications and social media. So a lot of it is like posting on social media, coming up with content. A lot of it is managing my inbox, responding to requests and forwarding them to who they need to go to, or if they go to me, then, then following through with those requests. Um, a lot of those is like managing like different other people. So checking in with other people to make sure that like they've done their tasks um and then a lot of it is also like writing so i write like a lot of op-eds and articles and things like that Mm -hmm. and then a lot of it is just like a lot of google doc like planning things you know planning Mm -hmm. campaigns planning organizations getting on a lot of it is conference calls um or one-on-one calls email chains 
texts, you know, just staying on top of all the messages that I get, responding, all those things like that. Those are all the many tasks. Some of the tasks are things like this, like doing an interview or something. So it's just a, a whole host of things. I mean, I really appreciate you diving into those things because I know that you're passionate about getting the youth to take action, you know, getting society to, to get involved in the youth, to be, to raise their voice and to be heard. And um, that's why, you know, your book that is going to be launching in, in June is a youth to power your voice and how to use it. And you're a great example of, of a youth who was able to speak up and be heard and when it comes to like the backlash, you know, and it, because climate change, and I want to tap more into the scientific part of the of climate change as well, and and what we're seeing currently in our world, being at the forefront of this, how have you been able to push ahead despite the backlash that you've been receiving? How have I been able to um, do that? Huh. Have you been feeling? Have you been feeling? Oh, I mean, like- I get tons of backlash, like all the time. First of all, my in my inbox in terms of social media is just like like my DMs are just flooded with a ton of hate mail. Really? Um, I get a lot of hate comments just constantly all the time. Um, I do get a lot of backlash from many different sides, so it's pretty constant. So I just learned how to tune it out because if I it would take me all day to just sit down and read everything, you know, wow. so I just block it out. So that's your, that's your thing. You're just, you just tune it out. You're just able to just block that. I, just and just focus. Out. I don't even, yeah, I don't even try. Like there's, there's nothing to, to. Yeah. I mean, I completely understand because what are you going to do? You know, you have your mission, you have your focus and you believe in that strongly. And so it's like, what, what are you going to do if people don't agree with you? But, you know, I think that, because I do believe in this. I do believe that, that there is a climate crisis going on. And so I wanted to talk about more about what, what is causing that, if you can give us some more insight on the, the political, the societal influences that are causing our climate crisis to, to continue, that is not giving it the attention, causing the change. Can you give us some more information and insight on the powers at play here that are making climate change continue? Yeah, so pretty much you can root the climate crisis back to like colonialism, racism, patriarchy, and capitalism. Those are the main systems that caused it. And what we have to really talk about, you know, when we talk about the climate crisis is like, how did we get here in the first place? Not mm-hmm. how did we, because scientifically we know how we got here. It's because we emitted carbon emissions into the air and then that's, you know, created the greenhouse effect, blah, blah, blah. But socially how did we get here in terms of how did we allow ourselves to Mm. be society on self-destruct and that is you know it started with colonization it started with you know when columbus came to the americas and started the genocide and all of the the exploitation of treating other people like objects and treating the earth like a prize to be won and like a credit card with no spending limit and then once industrialization happened that um groundwork of of capitalism and patriarchy and colonialism and racism had already been set in place so if you think about it the climate crisis can date back further to the industrial revolution because the building blocks for it were laid by like colonization even even earlier that's incredible how do you how do you then start to even uproot the deep-rooted issues then since they can be traced back to colonial times well, you have to see how these systems are at play right now. Colonization has ended. It's continuous. 
people are still going into indigenous communities and destroy and trying to destroy their land and culture. People are still exploiting the earth. And so really what we have to do is stop the remnants of those systems today. Like capitalism is still doing its thing. Racism mm-hmm. is still doing its thing. Patriarchy is mm-hmm. doing its thing. So you just have to address the symptoms of what's happening today. Um, because it's not like it's gone away, you know, and now we're left with the climate crisis. It's like a perpetual thing that, that is still happening. So we have to treat it like that. You know, you bring up very interesting topics when it comes to, you said, capitalism, racism, and how these are the reason why this climate crisis is still continuing. It's not ending. And so when it comes to the work then that you're doing, what is it that you and Zero Hour have been focusing on doing to really influence these officials and get their attention in order to make them make the change? So what we've been doing, a lot of it is educating the public because once there's like a public demand for change, you know, the public is, are the people who vote those officials into office. So then once you can get it to a point where it's like, if you want to keep your job, you have to change. That's pretty much how all social movements in history have worked before, where it's like, if you want to keep your job, if you want to still be in power, mm-hmm. you, if you want my vote, you have to change. You have to you know, hold these corporations accountable, pass these laws. There's a certain point of no return when it's no longer socially acceptable for politicians to pick polluters over the planet in our future. And so, you know, a lot of what we do is a lot of outreach to the public and a lot of educational campaigns and things like that because um, because once once the public, once a certain percentage of the public is, is, is already an all-in for action, then politicians really have no choice. And that's really how all social movements have worked. And so since the beginning of the work with Zero Hour, what has been the, the reaction of the public that you've seen and the support you know, globally that you've been seeing? I mean, the support has been really massive. So many movements have popped up because they were inspired by Zero Hour and in our initial work. You know, Greta Thunberg and the youth climate strikes, a lot of that started because they were initially inspired and laid the groundwork by us at Zero Hour and the work mm-hmm. that we did. And so it's been really incredible seeing the way the youth climate movement has been able to blow up ever since, you know, the, the movement that we started. And I wanted to actually talk about that with you because this is an inter- you have an international organization, Zero Hour, you have the youth movement from, from different countries. And I feel that the issues that Americans, like the average American is seeing in this country is probably very different. You know, it is very different from what people are experiencing, communities are experiencing in like India or in Australia. And so when it comes to the work that you've been doing over these years, and um, what you've been able to see firsthand. How have you seen that climate crisis is impacting our world? Yeah, so the way we're seeing the climate crisis now is, um, well, right now we're in a pandemic. It's causing more pandemics because the bugs that cause a lot of diseases like you know malaria and things like that and the microbes that thrive in hotter climates, more humid climates, those are moving to bigger and bigger places because places are getting more hot. They're getting hotter. They're getting more tropical or they're getting drier. They're getting wetter and like all of these different conditions. Mm-hmm. And a lot of places that, for example, the Pacific Northwest didn't used to really have mosquitoes. Now we have tons of them. It's because it's warmer and these bugs can now feel at home. And so you can see tropical diseases spreading. Also, the permafrost, once that melts in the permafrost, there are frozen over a lot of bacteria mm-hmm. and viruses that haven't been there for hundreds of years 
if not thousands of years. And so once that melts, then suddenly we see ourselves in the whole host of pandemics. And so, you know, if we think the coronavirus is bad, like we're in for it if we really don't solve this climate crisis, not to mention all the natural disasters, the wildfires that we saw, like literally all of Australia was on fire and parts of it still are. So it's like, the effects are numerous. And then also, you know, people are dying, losing their homes. It's just, I could go on forever. It's pretty much, it ties into any, everything. Also, the climate crisis leads to an increase in violence because the more resource scarcity and insecurity there is, that's usually a cause for war. And so climate change and, and, and resource instability and ecological instability and more violence. You know, while I was doing my own research as well with uh, the climate crisis and the intersectionality and how that, you know, that relation to, to climate crisis and how you have these communities that lack resources already, right? And when they're then faced with a natural disaster or an oil spill, something that affects their economic situation, not having those resources, right, to then pull themselves out of that situation to survive. And that's why, like, for me personally, and the movement that you're doing, I fully believe and support that. And I want to know, and I want us to talk about, like, how can youth, how can society back this? What is it that we need to do in order to get our message heard that, hey, we are unhappy about the current situation? What would be your call to action to our youth, to society regarding the climate crisis? My call to action to society is, I mean, look, Right now, with everyone kind of being inside and quarantined, mm -hmm. what you can do is do as much digital action as you can. Um, Zero Hour, if you follow Zero Hour on social media, it's at the ad sign and then this is Zero Hour for Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and TikTok. Then, you know, you can engage with us, message us, get involved with us, and follow because we are launching a new series of like digital campaigns and educational initiatives while everyone is in the quarantine. Um, and so, you know, while you're trapped inside, I'd really encourage everyone to do as much as they can digitally to raise awareness, educate themselves, get involved with organizations digitally, and just use the internet at your fingertips to mobilize and organize. And then once, you know, make that community online. So, you know, once this thing is over, then, you know, we can really go out there in person and make a big difference. Okay. So using internet, I mean, which everybody has, and um, you were mentioning your handles as well. So this is another way that people can, can also show support for you and, and, and zero hour and the work that you're doing um, and also stay updated. Right. And so um, your website, and I'll put the links also in the show note, but your website uh, is, this is zero hour.org. And you mentioned that your Instagram, your Facebook, and your Twitter, um, and also TikTok, you have it as This Is Zero Hour? Yes. Okay, wonderful. And I also wanted you, before we wrap this up, to talk, I wanted you to talk to us about your book that you're going to be launching in June, which is Youth to Power, Your Voice and How to Use It. What is your book about and what would you like to highlight about that? So yeah, my book is a guide to being a young activist and organizer. It's pretty much the book that I wish I would have had when I was first starting to get involved with climate action. It's, it's like a how-to book, but it also has a lot of stories from my activism and a lot of stories from other youth from all different fields. So it's not a climate book. It's, um, it's not about climate change or anything like that. It's, it's really about it's a guide. It's the ultimate manifesto and handbook for a young activist. And it works for adults as well, because, you know, it, a lot of the advice is catered towards youth, but a lot of stuff is in there is useful for anyone of all generations looking to get involved. So the book comes out June 2nd, and it has a foreword by Greta Thunberg, 
and a lot of great interviews within after each chapter. Um, it was written all by me, no ghostwriter, no nothing. So from youth for the youth. So that's really unique and incredible. And you can go to youthtopowerbook.com. It's the publisher's page that so you can pick from all different ways to buy the book. I also recorded an audiobook, which will be out when the book comes out. And so um, for those of you who maybe have reading disabilities or learning disabilities or like, you know, dyslexia or anything like that, um, and, and want to get the information from the book, but really don't like to read, there's an audiobook that I recorded myself. So you can hear the words from me. Uh, so yeah, just go to youthpowerbook.com for all the information. Also, if you want to like connect with me personally, so I just give you zero hour socials, but my socials are just, just type in Jamie Margolin for again, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. It'll just come up under my name. And I can add that also in the show notes. I want to thank you so much, uh, Jamie, for being on here today to share your message and to give inspiration to the youth and to society who want to step up and take action as well in order for them to do so. And then have the resources and the examples that you've given um, in order for them to learn and move forward. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, Jamie. Thank you so much for being on. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey everyone, this is an update to this interview to let you know that Jamie Margolin's book, Youth to Power, is now available to purchase and not just pre-order. We did this interview a few weeks before the release of this episode, and so in the interview she mentions pre-ordering her book. Good news, her book has officially launched as of June 2nd, and you can now purchase it directly from youthtopowerbook.com. This is a powerful book for the aspiring change maker and it serves as a guide on how to be a young activist and organizer. It's a book that Jamie says she wishes she had when she was first starting in activism. I'll place a link to purchase her book in the show notes. I hope you look into it and if you purchase it, we would love to hear your feedback and what you liked from her book. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it and feel inspired and would like to be a part of the Relentless Minds community, you can join the movement for change on Instagram and Twitter. We would also love to know how your experience has been as a listener. If you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another powerful story. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.